You know, we just sang that song, Oh Holy Night. And I love that song. That song is, is, is not only beautiful in its arrangement, but it's powerful in the words that we're singing. And there's a line from that song that's probably my favorite line, one of my favorites out of all the Christmas songs. And it, it says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And then it says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, fall on your knees. You know, that song is speaking of something that is so relevant, not only to the time where Jesus came, but the time that we're in right now. We are in a world that is weary. We're in a world that is under the strain of sin and the curse. We are under, uh, the, we're in a world that's broken and waiting for a redeemer. Now the redeemer has come. Jesus has come. And yet when you don't receive that, when, when, when you haven't recognized that, you're still waiting for something. You're still longing for something. You know, when Jesus first came to the earth, there were those who had been waiting and waiting and still expecting. There were those that had given up hope. There were those that had just said, I don't think it'll ever happen. There were those that kept saying it will happen, but in reality never expected it. Just, it was something we say to each other, Messiah is coming, someday he'll come, but they never expected it. You know, it reminds me of how many of us talk about the return of Jesus. You know, Jesus said he's coming back. All throughout the New Testament, it tells us to anxiously and eagerly await his return. That's something I'm excited about. That's something I'm looking forward to. That's something I'm anticipating. But you know, for a lot of people, it's just something we say, but we don't actually think about. We don't actually expect it. You just say it. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. But when you really believe he's coming back, doesn't it change the way you live? Doesn't it change the way you hope? Doesn't it change the way you love? Doesn't it change everything? Well, it was similar for those that awaited the first coming of the Messiah. The world was weary. The world was dark. Last week we read from Isaiah chapter 9 where it says that the people that sat in a great darkness saw a great light. The people that were in great darkness saw a great light. Those that were in the shadow of death saw this great light. What's amazing about that great light, and we read it last week, was in John 1, it said that Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. As many as did receive him, they be, were given the right to become the children of God, but many didn't. And so it's amazing that even those that sat in a great darkness, they saw a great light, but there were those that never recognized the great light. They never really saw it for what it was. And in this world today, we are full. The world is drenched in weariness. But for some, they've given up any hope that that'll change. And they've bought in and just said, you know what? This is the way it is. It's the way it's always has been. It's the way it's always going to be. Let's just make the best of a bad situation. God doesn't want you to fall into that cynicism. God doesn't want you to fall into that bitterness. You know, when we talk about bitterness, we often think of like an active bitterness. Someone who is seething, someone who is angry. But there's another type of bitterness, which is a callousness, a, a growing just callous and, 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 and insensitive over time, hardening your heart that you no longer expect and you no longer believe. In the early days when Jesus came, you know, in chapter, in, in the book of Luke, there's story after story of people that are waiting, people that are waiting. The first story we come across is the story of a man named Zacharias who's never had a child. He's an old man. His wife's old. 
They've never been able to conceive, never been able to have kids. And then an angel appears to him and tells him he's going to have a son and he's going to name him John. And Zechariah questions this. He, he balks at it. He says, you know, how can that be? I don't think that, I, I think you got the wrong guy. You know, you know I, I'm too old. My wife's never been able to conceive. And even if she had been, she certainly couldn't now. They do have a baby, and, and, and before they do, the angel actually tells Zechariah, you're not going to speak again until the baby is born, because, you know, Zechariah uh, had to learn that if I'm not going to say what God says, I'm not going to say anything at all. And when he finally opened his mouth, it was an agreement with God, his name is John, and the next words out of his mouth, after he said his name is John, actually he signed his name is John, the first words out of his mouth were prophetic utterance. He speaks of who his son's going to be, and he speaks of the one that his son is preparing a way for. He begins to speak about the Messiah. I want to start there in, in, in Luke chapter 1. When John is born, Zechariah prophesies this. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has visited us and accomplish redemption for his people. You might say he hasn't done anything yet. You're still looking at a baby. You're still waiting on a promise. But for Zacharias, this was the promise fulfilled. It was in action. And to him, it was already as good as done. And he says this, he has visited us. He's accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. He says this is the fulfillment of something God promised centuries and centuries and centuries ago. God promised it to Abraham. Zechariah is realizing this is not just about me and my wife having a kid. This isn't just about our time and our place. This is an ancient promise and God is in the midst of fulfilling it. And he goes on and he says, and you child, and he looks at his son, the son that he never thought he'd have, the son that he never believed could ever come. And he looks at little John and he says, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is, is taking on, I mean, he's prophesying, it's by the Spirit of God. And yet it's the same Spirit, it's that same tone that so many of the prophets have carried before him. That tone of, this is happening, this is real, but, but that, that, that attitude and that thought that he's bringing out is that God not only has promised this, but we've been waiting for it and it's here. And, 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 and what many prophets had said before Zechariah, they called out to God and said, how long should we wait? When's this coming? You know, the, the New Testament says that the prophets carefully searched and, and went through the scriptures and, and tried to find out what they were prophesying about. When they prophesied about the Messiah, they longed for it. They said, God, when? And Zechariah says, it's here. 
He said, the t- because of the tender mercy of our God, with which sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In this statement, Zechariah is keenly aware of the reality of his time. Keenly aware of his situation. We sit in darkness. We're in the shadow of death. But sunrise is coming. Sunrise will visit us. And he will visit us and shine light in our darkness. And he will guide our feet into the way of peace. What a promise. You begin to see a picture of weariness meeting the promise of weariness that says, I've been waiting for so long, meeting the joy of the promise. It's here. Zechariah rejoices. And and this word that comes from him, he's not the only one that talks this way. In fact, when Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, she said something similar. Just a few verses before in verse 46, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for his humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from the throne and he has exalted those that were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servants, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is when Mary first heard that promise from God that she was going to bear a son. And this is what she says. He has done these things. You know, remember that Jesus hasn't been born yet. Remember that even when he is born, it's going to be decades before he starts his earthly ministry. And yet for Mary, this is happening right now. He's done it. This is it. Once again, just like Zacharias, she goes back and says, just like you promised to Abraham. These people are carrying the weight of centuries and centuries of a promise. They are carrying the weight of a people who for generations have been waiting on something and they're seeing it, that release, that relief of joy, that thrill of hope that says we've been waiting and now it's here. Would it surprise you to know that most people didn't have this reaction? Most people had no reaction at all. For most people, this baby was just another baby born into the world. But for those that were waiting, for those that were expecting, there was joy. There was the thrill of hope. There was rejoicing. Do you ever wonder why some rejoiced and some went on with their life? There were three different types, maybe more, but but let's think about three different types of people that received Jesus. There were those that that were waiting and expectant and received him with joy. Here's the answer. There were those that were angry. There were those that were troubled. There were those that said, if this is something, he's going to mess up our, our way of life. He's going to mess up the way we're doing things. And there was a third group that was just apathetic. You know, this doesn't affect me in any way. Those kinds of people are still around today. We fall into one of those categories. Either we've been hanging on to the promise of God and when we begin to see its fulfillment, that hope is stirred in us, that joy. There's a season of rejoicing as we see the harvest of what has been sown and what has been watered. We see it come to pass. But there are others who say, 
This messes with my kingdom because the kingdom of God, when it advances, it, it crushes kingdoms in front of it. It, it, it. it breaks them to pieces. It causes trouble. I want you to know that Jesus causes trouble to those things that need to be troubled. And when kingdoms collide, there's one kingdom that will smash the others to pieces, and that's the kingdom of God. And so when you see his kingdom collide with your kingdom, and we've all had that happen, whether or not you've ever been in any, in any real power in the, in the earth, in the world, we still have our own little kingdom, our own little life that we have set up that say, I like things this way. This is the way it is. This is the way it should be. This is the way I'm coping. This is the way I'm managing. And when God's kingdom comes, he changes things. When his kingdom comes into your life, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes things. And you can either say, thank you, Jesus, it's about time, or you can resist it. When you resist it, you know, Jesus said that, that when you resist it, this will crush you. This will crush all other kingdoms. He says, you don't want to get crushed by this stone. This stone could crush you. This, this is a kingdom that's enduring there's a third group, and that's the apathetic, the people that just go on with their life that, that say it doesn't really affect me. I don't, if I don't think about it, it's not happening. Of course, you know which group you want to fall in. You want to fall in the first. But you know, the issue with those that fall in the first, here's the price. To fall in the first group, you've got to hang on to something. You've got to hang on to the hope of His promise. You can't just say, well, if it happens, it happens those people that rejoiced were waiting for something. Zecharias, Mary, there, was a, there were a group of people, uh, and, and it's probably way more than you think, there were a group of people that were waiting on something. Of course, we know the story, and, and I'd like to read it to you, but when Jesus is, is a baby, and he's brought to the temple for the first time to be dedicated to the Lord, he's greeted, his family is greeted by an old man named Simeon. And, and let's, let's look at that uh, interaction. In Luke chapter 2, verse 21, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I know I've preached it several times in years past, but bears repeating just in case you need to be reminded or in case you didn't hear it before. That verse is so important. It says he was righteous and devout and he was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. All of those words go together. Righteous. Devout. Now, devout means you're devoted to something. Devout means that you are pushing into something. You are pressing into something. Devotion takes effort. Devotion takes time. It takes emotional energy. It takes, it takes yourself, you giving yourself to something. He was devout, righteous, devout, and what? Looking. He was looking for something that God had promised. You know, Simeon is one of those people that, that exemplifies what God wants. He exemplifies the attitude we all should have. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that Simeon is, is educated or uneducated, rich or poor. It doesn't tell us if he's powerful or relatively powerless in the world's eyes. All he tells us is that this man was righteous, devout, and looking because that's all that really matters. 
This was a man who hung on to God's promise for all his life. He was righteous, devout, looking for God's promise to come to pass. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it says this, that God, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when, his, when the parents were brought in, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He says, now I've seen salvation. Think about it. God said, I'll keep you alive until you see it. So imagine, I mean, imagine being an old man who you've waited your whole life for a promise. Many of us will wait a week, two weeks, 10 minutes. This man waited his whole life. This is one of the last things he's going to experience before he dies, presumably of old age, of natural causes. God's saying, you'll live until you see it. Simeon doesn't get to see Jesus rise from the dead. Simeon doesn't get to see Jesus do a miracle. Simeon doesn't get to see any of that. He just gets to see this baby and he rejoices. A weary world rejoices. A weary man rejoices. He's been waiting for so long and here it is. A few verses down, verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, another old woman, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers, and at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna was part of a group that was waiting for God's promises. She had not just waited passively at home. She had not just been waiting by by slowly just checking the news. She had waited by fasting and praying and pressing in. And she got to see it. Not only did she get to see it, but she spread the word to all those who were in her crew that were also waiting for it. Something is coming and we've been waiting. Now these are two old people. And, and the lie and, the, and, and the, 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 the attitude in the world is that, you know, after a while, you just got to give up hope. If you've been waiting for too long, don't torture yourself. Just, just get over it. Just move on. Maybe you were wrong. Maybe, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it's just, maybe you just need to focus on other things. Isn't it better that you're happy? Isn't it better that you're comfortable? Isn't it better that you can just focus on what is happening? These two old people had been waiting. Simeon and Anna had been waiting and they got to see what they were waiting for. They saw it with their eyes. All their life, one of the last things that Simeon's gonna ever get to see is the promise he's been waiting for his whole life. Decades and decades of waiting and there's the thrill of hope. The weary man, the weary woman, they rejoice because here's what we've been waiting for. Here's what we've been waiting for. The price is is that to have that thrill, to have that rejoicing, there is that season where you're saying, God, I'm not letting go. You know, have you ever studied how uh, somebody, I mean, we've known people who unfortunately have passed away due to hypothermia. 
And, and when you read about how it happens, it's not always the same in different people. And sometimes alcohol is involved, sometimes other things are involved. But generally what happens is there are stages to hypothermia. There, there's a, a time where you, you actively know that you are freezing and you're trying to get warm and you're working towards it. But there's another, there are other stages when your brain begins to shut down and, and, and you become delirious and your speech gets slurred and, and, and you look for a place. You Suddenly, uh, for, for many people, it begin, becomes counterintuitive because many people who die of hypothermia one of the last things that they want to do is just go to sleep. And in fact, as their cells begin to shut down, as a brain and organs begin to shut down, they finally feel warm again. They feel comfortable. Maybe not comfortable, but they, they don't feel cold anymore because they're used to it. Something, these things are shutting down. And in fact, in, in almost half of the case, at least 25 to 50% of cases of hypothermia, people start to take their clothes off. They take their clothes off because they, 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 they're suddenly hot because there's something firing wrong in their brain and they're, they're hot and they, they start taking clothes off and then they burrow and they look for a place just to burrow and go to sleep and they never wake up. There are stories of those that have survived hypothermia where they said, you know, I just wanted to lie down. I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to sleep. My body was telling me, just sleep. Just go to, go to sleep. It'll be over soon. You'll be warm. Just go to sleep. And they kept pushing and kept walking until they got, until they found a cabin, until they found somebody, till a car came by and, and they survived. You know, and unfortunately that's not the case for everyone. But, but when it is, you know, there's this, there's this common telling where, you know, for a while I just wanted to lay down. And you see that as, as people were waiting for Jesus, there were those who'd been walking and, 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 and staying awake and saying, it's coming, it's coming, heat is coming, light is coming. But there were those that just said, you know what, let's just go to sleep. Isn't it, aren't you tired of fighting? Aren't you tired of, of resisting? Why don't you just give in and go to sleep? And that's what happens to so many when we're waiting on the promise of God? I'm not talking about passively waiting. I'm talking about pressing in to him and, and looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we've already received the greatest promise. We're not waiting on Jesus. Jesus has come. But there are things that we are hanging on to and we're holding on to. And Peter says in the last days, many will fall away saying, where's the promise of his coming? For you guys have been saying that since your forefathers and it seems no closer now than it was then. He says in the last days, there are gonna be Christians who fall away and say, you know what, I've been waiting and I give up. And he says, no, don't give up. Stir yourselves, stir each other. Say, come on, don't lie down, don't go to sleep. Something is coming. The thrill of hope is, is remaining for those that haven't given up, that lift up their eyes. And as Jesus said, when all of these things are happening around you and it looks like the end, he says, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws near. This is the promise. It's why the prophets had to say what they said. That's why the prophets had to keep telling them a redeemer is coming. It's not just so God would be proven right. It's so that people would keep hanging on and pressing and not falling asleep. When the Magi came in Matthew, these are the wise men that that came from another country. They had seen a star and they recognized that this star was different. This was the star that indicated, or, or rather a great light that indicated something to them. They knew that this indicated there was a king. Somehow they equated what they saw with a king 
of the Jews. They, they, this was a star. And whether or not, listen, we don't know exactly how they pinned that together. Um, some, some believe that because they were Magi, remember Daniel was chief of the Magi when he was in Babylon, that maybe, uh, you know, he had passed on some of these prophecies that men like even Balaam said, you know, Balaam said there would be a star that rises in the east. And, and he talked about this ruler that would rise. Maybe those prophecies had come to them. We don't know. But what we know is that they recognized it and they knew what it meant. And they came to Jerusalem because if you're looking for the king of the Jews, where do you go? They weren't Jews, so they didn't know all the prophecies. They didn't know about Bethlehem. They didn't know about this. They just said, if there's a king born to the Jews, let's start in Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, here's what happens. Matthew tells us that they went to Jerusalem and they were asking this question. It says in in chapter 2, verse 2, they were saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? So they're asking around. They're, they're asking people, hey, do you know where's the king supposed to be born? And why isn't anybody excited about this? Why isn't anybody looking like we are? For we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Listen, this is one reaction. Remember the second group we talked about? We said there's a group that's waiting like those wise men, they're waiting, they're expecting, they're excited, they're, they're, they're going to, uh, that expectation gets you on your feet, it gets you moving. Just like hunger brings you to the table, expectation brings you closer, and you begin to walk towards. You don't just wait for the king to come to you, you go to where he is. They went to where he was. The second group, it says, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. Why? Because Herod is the king of the Jews to him. According to the Romans, they've made him a little king in his little area. And he says, I'm the king of the Jews. And if there's another king to be born, that messes with my kingdom. I don't care if it's been prophesied. I don't care if it's God's will. I'm the king and I don't want that to change. But you know what really surprises me? It doesn't surprise me that Herod said that. Herod was a wicked man. Herod killed his own kids. Herod was evil. What surprises me is that all of Jerusalem shared that sentiment. It says all of Jerusalem became troubled with him. Sure, some of them might have just been troubled like, you know, what's this, all this kerfuffle, kerfuffle about? What's the, what's the commotion about? But many said, you know, listen, we don't need another so-called Messiah that comes and claims to be something. We don't need someone causing trouble. Listen, life is going good. Jerusalem, remember, Jerusalem was the seat of their power. You know, it wasn't Galilee. It wasn't Nazareth. It wasn't those areas where people were longing for something to change. Jerusalem, it had those people, but in many cases, Jerusalem was full of the people that said, you know, listen, we've attained some sort of power. We've figured out life. This is working for us, and we don't want someone else to cause a commotion. And they're thinking, we don't want someone else to raise up a revolt, and the Romans got to come and, it, and crush it and messes with all of us. We don't want this messing with our lives. How sad. And there's another group. Because when Herod recognizes and hears this, he gathered together, in verse 4, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know what's amazing? There's a group of people 
that actually know where Jesus is going to be born. They, they correctly bring out this small verse in, in the book of Micah. They, they bring out this verse in the Minor Prophets and they pull it out and they get it right. They are downright helpful. They know where Jesus is going to be born. And do you know how many of them went with the wise men and said, finally he's here. Thank God for all of our study and all of our learning. We have studied the Messiah all our lives, so much so that we can bring out a tiny verse from a tiny prophet. He's not tiny, but you know, he, Micah was one of the minor prophets. So they knew that little verse. They knew where he was to be born. They had their doctorate in, in, in Christology. They had their doctorate in the Messiah. They knew the answer. And do you know how many of them said to the, the Magi, hey, let us come too? Zero. These are the apathetic. These are the leaders. These are the chief priests, the scribes. These are those who have made their life's goal preparing people for the Messiah. Or so they say. They've studied the Messiah. They've waited the Messiah. They constantly say to one another, Messiah is coming. Let Messiah come. Oh, God, send Messiah. And yet they even find out where he's going to be born. They tell him the place and nobody says, let's go worship him. Because they've become so academically um, just proficient. They've, they've become so wrapped up in the study of the Messiah They've stopped searching or looking for the Messiah. And the Magi went by themselves and found Jesus. Leaving behind a city of people that had those that were waiting, like Simeon and Anna and her friends, those that were troubled and angry, like Herod and many of the people in Jerusalem, and those that were apathetic, like the priests and the scribes, the religious leaders that should have led the charge to worship the king were apathetic. For these wise men, for Simeon, for Anna, living in a world that's broken, there is a weariness. You feel it. Zechariah felt it. He said, we've been sitting in the shadow of death. How does a man recognize that? Unless he is looking for something better. You know, Hebrews says that all these people that gave up their homes and all these people that, that were, were sojourners and pilgrims looking for a city whose builder was God, he said they made it clear that they weren't looking for an earthly city, that this wasn't their home. They were looking for something better. Those kind of people aren't always happy. Let me tell you something. People that are looking for what God has promised aren't, all, aren't always satisfied or comfortable because they're looking for something that God's promised. Yes, they're rejoicing. Yes, they're refreshed in His presence. Yes, there's gladness, but there's sometimes there's a yearning and you just wish it would go away. I, I know you feel that. Sometimes you just wish you just could ignore what's happening. Can I just be blissfully ignorant? Can I just be comfortably numb? Can I just go to sleep in the snow? But God says, wake up. And he encourages us like Anna and her group and like Simeon to, to stir each other up and say, don't fall asleep, keep waiting, keep looking, keep pressing, don't stop believing. Come on, guys. Maybe you've hung on to something and you feel like it would just be easier to let go. Like the world who's weary, but weary in a different way. They're, they're so weary, they're worn down and worn out and they no longer feel. They're callous. So they don't rejoice when... Jesus comes because they don't recognize it. You know, remember what the angel said to the shepherds, unto you that is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And he, said, he says, we bring you good tidings, gospel. We bring you good news, which will be for great joy for all the people. This good news will bring great joy and it's for everyone. 
So there's, there's this joy that refreshes and there's this joy that gives us strength again. And it's for everyone, but it is found in the gospel. And I want to tell you, I know many of you are weary with the way things are, but I want to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You say, but when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'm painfully aware at the unrighteousness around me. I'm painfully aware at the bro- of the brokenness around me. He says, but don't stop hungering and thirsting thirsting for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all those things that the Gentiles are eagerly searching, all those things will be added unto you. What does it mean to seek his kingdom and to seek his righteousness? It means keep pressing towards it, keep going for it. Don't stop looking. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop believing. And maybe you've been hanging on to God's promises. Maybe it's about restoration in your family, in your marriage, healing in your body. Maybe it's about a a change in your community, hope in your nation. And you say, you know what? It'd be easier just to give up. I've been walking the walk of faith and I've seen miracles here. I've seen miracles all over the place. But you know what? This one area feels like this one's taken longer and it's hurt. It's hurting. It's, It's hard. I'm weary. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary, all who are laden down, and I'll give you rest. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. Don't give up. Come to me. Sunrise has visited you. Help has come. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Hebrews says that when we run the race with endurance, the way to keep running is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't failed you. Just like he didn't fail Simeon. Just like he didn't fail Anna. Just like he didn't fail Mary. Just like he didn't fail Zacharias. Just like he didn't fail Israel. Just like he didn't fail the planet. Just like he didn't fail Adam and Eve. Just like he didn't fail Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like he didn't fail Joseph. Just like he didn't fail Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Micah and Zechariah. He didn't fail them. He kept his promise and he'll keep his promise. Don't stop pushing. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Zechariah, Zechariah saw it. Isaiah saw it. In fact, as we close, I want to read you this prophecy that will be familiar to many of you. Isaiah 40 is this exhortation to those that are waiting. And today I I address that to those who are waiting. Here's hope for you. He says in verse 28, Isaiah 40, 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, everlasting, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. If you're feeling weary with this hanging on to God's promise, if you're saying, I've, been, I've seen answers, why not here? I've seen answers, but I'm still waiting. And I just, you know, everybody else is coping. Everybody else is self-medicating. Everybody else is growing numb and just, and they seem happy. They're not. When you become a different kind of weary, a weary that says give up. You're not better for it. You're dying. 
God wants to stoke that fire in you again. He wants to resurrect you. He wants you to bring resurrection, the spirit of resurrection, to those around you. He wants you to be one of those people like Anna that begins to stir your people and say, stop, stop being comfortable. Stop giving up. Stop being just satisfied with the way things are. I, I know that there's a tension because there were those in Jesus' day that were so dissatisfied that they took matters into their own hands and they were just as wrong as those that were satisfied because they took it into their own hands and they, and they did nothing but, but destroy and cause pain. Those, those people uh, you know, just turned away from God in the same way. Those that, that became comfortable, they, they still weren't looking to God. And even his disciples, Jesus' disciples said to him, when's the kingdom coming to earth like you've promised? When are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says it's not for you to know that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, you know, you guys are still looking for the change you've been waiting for, but I've promised something even greater. And in a few days, you're going to experience it. So don't worry about that part. Think about this part. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we're not just waiting for something that will never come. We are in the midst of something that's happening right now. The kingdom of God is here and it's forcefully advancing. And yes, we're looking ahead. And yes, we're waiting for things that have yet to come. But we're not passively waiting. We are pressing. He says, he increases might to those who lack power. He increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord. When you look up that word, wait, it can mean to wait, but it really holds this meaning to expect, to hope. You're, you're not waiting passively, just like, yeah, we'll see if it happens. You are hopefully expecting, like that puppy at the door waiting for you to come home. Like, 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 like when you're waiting on that Christmas gift that you ordered for your wife to come in the mail. Like you're waiting. I mean, there's, that's, that's what we're talking about. An expectation. It says those that wait and hope in the Lord, those that wait for the Lord will gain new strength. The Hebrew word here is a word that means to exchange strength. I'm, I'm going to exchange my weariness for your strength. He says, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary because God is not weary. He says he doesn't grow weary. He lives outside of time. He is not worried. He is not fainting. He's not tired. He's not weary. And so he has that strength for you. And if you're weary today, rejoice. Jesus is here. Come to him. If you're thirsty, he says, come to me. If you're hungry, he says, come to me. If you're tired, he says, come to me. If you're weary, he says, come to me. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I want to tell you, don't, don't grow weary in well-doing for you will receive that harvest if you don't faint. Don't give up. Don't crawl into the ditch and fall asleep. Keep stirred up. Keep awake. Keep pressing. Lift up your heads for redemption is near.